Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now here on Forward Radio. We're WFMP Louisville broadcasting to you from the top of the historic Apron Building at 106.5 FM or live streaming wherever you are with an internet signal at forwardradio.org. And no matter how you listen, we want you to go to forwardradio.org to become a part of this community station. We built it for you. It is radio for the people, by the people, and we we know you've got stories to tell. You've got issues of concern. You've got events coming up you want to promote. You've got organizations that you're a part of that you love and want to share with the world. Well, this can be your community megaphone. Just go to FordRadio.org. Click on Participate. Let us know what you want to do. You could be a guest on a show. You could be a one-time access hour about your issue or, or organization. Or you could do a weekly program like this one here at Forward Radio. So go to forwardradio.org, click participate, and also click donate to help sustain us. It's volunteer-powered and your listener dollars that help keep us on the air. And we're so grateful to all of you for your support over the years. Well, what we're going to do today here on Sustainability Now is something special because back on June 4th at the University of Louisville, the Kentucky Solar Energy Society held its annual meeting. And there was just so much great, great content that day that is so timely right now and that I want to share with you. Uh, what I'm going to focus on today are the presentations about solar over Louisville. And the reason that's particularly important is that the deadline to sign up. If you're a homeowner, a business, a nonprofit, a church, anyone with a roof <laughs> or landowner anywhere in the greater Louisville region, uh, not just Jefferson County, but all surrounding counties in, in Kentucky and southern Indiana. Well, June 30th is the deadline to sign up for Solar Over Louisville. It's such a great program that really lowers the bar for people like you to get solar on your property. So I wanted to share with you the presentation from the June 4th Kentucky Solar Energy Society's annual meeting done by Sumeda Rao from Louisville Metro Government Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability talking all about solar over Louisville, which you can learn more about at 100percentlu.com slash 2040. That's the number 100% spelled out lou.com slash 2040. She's going to give an update on solar over Louisville as of uh, earlier this month. And then we're going to hear from Steve Ricketts, who is principal of Generation Solar, on uh, the upcoming work to spread this important model of solarization <laughs> beyond Louisville to the rest of the Commonwealth here. Uh, and he's also going to give an update on solar scammers, which have invaded our state and you want to be wary of and that's why solar over louisville provides you another great layer of protection against those scammers so with no further ado forward radio is in the house back on june 4th at the kentucky solar energy society annual meeting at uofl and we are going to bring you that clip right now here on sustainability now so I'm Sumedha Rao, and I am the Sustainability Specialist with Louisville Metro Government, the Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability, more specifically. And thank you to CASES for giving us the opportunity today to talk about our Solar Over Louisville campaign. As Wallace mentioned, I'll be doing a quick overview of what the campaign is for anyone who hasn't heard about it yet, and, and then also talk about how it's going so far. 
And also, before I get into solar over Louisville, I thought I'd spend a few minutes, very high level, kind of talking through what our department does a little bit, just to set some context for why we decided to work on the solar project. So Louisville's sustainability journey started because we realized that climate change is, of course, happening everywhere, including in Louisville. And some of the impacts of climate change here are, of course, higher temperatures and also increasing um, extreme weather events. And interestingly, Louisville is actually the fastest warming urban heat island in North America, according to a study by Georgia Tech's Urban Climate Lab. And we also understand that these impacts aren't equitable across Louisville. There's some people in some parts of the city, West and South Louisville are regions that experience heat much higher than the rest of the city. And we see this not only with heat, but also with things like air pollution and other uh, climate impacts. So having understood these issues with climate change and the inequitability of it in Louisville, Louisville's sustainability journey started about 10 years ago when the Office of Sustainability was formed. And uh, that has eventually uh, progressed into the Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability. But we have, over the past decade, developed several studies and plans to help us better understand climate change in Louisville, how it affects residents, and also understanding what we can do to address it. So some of the key plans that we that inform a lot of our work are the emissions inventory, the greenhouse gas emissions reduction plan, as well as our climate adaptation plan for Paralobal. And in 2020, we were very fortunate to pass a resolution through Metro Council that sets the goal of achieving 100% clean energy community-wide by 2040. I see Brandon Cohn here, and you were the one that sponsored the resolution. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been very instrumental because it's given our office this incredible goal that's been passed by council that we can now kind of hold the community accountable to and work together to try to achieve. So how are we going to achieve 100% clean energy? Very simplistically, there's two ways to do it. One is to reduce the energy that we use through efficiency and then to start transforming the energy that we do need into cleaner sources of energy. So moving away from fossil fuels towards things like solar. So just to give you a quick overview of what we're doing for municipal operations. For energy efficiency, we hired an amazing person called Zach Tyler last year, the Louisville's first energy manager. And he has been able to save the city $750,000 in just the first year of him being here. And this is without any investments in buying expensive equipment or doing any kind of like highly capital investing projects, but it's more just from scheduling changes and from billing, analyzing all of that. So he's been able to do that. And we also uh, were able to secure an energy innovation fund, which basically puts about 80% of that money back into energy efficiency projects going forward so that we can continue to use those savings to invest further in energy efficiency. We also recently joined the U.S. Department of Energy's Better Buildings Challenge, which commits us to reducing our greenhouse gas emissions by 50% uh, by 2030. And on the clean energy side for municipal operations, we have been in a partnership with the National Renewable Energy Lab, which is a national laboratory of the U.S. Department of Energy. And basically, this is a technical assistance partnership, and they have been helping us figure out, now that we have this goal of 100% clean energy, how will we achieve it for municipal operations? And they helped us develop this whole range of options, everything from working with the existing utility and the programs they have, like the green tariff, 
to completely moving away from utility, potentially starting the city's own municipal utility and everything in between. So we are still in the process of exploring this. We've moved on. The phase one of this partnership with NREL gave us this range of options to help us better understand what we're working with. And in phase two, they're going to help us further analyze some of these options to understand what makes most sense in terms of feasibility for our community. That was about municipal operations. So now when we're talking about community-wide, our greenhouse gas inventory that we did in 2016 gave us some very valuable data to let us know where our sources of emissions are coming from. A majority of them are from buildings, and that's because of our utility, which is mostly fossil fuel based. So in some other cities, you might see that transportation is a larger slice of the pie. But because our utility, our electricity supply is so fossil fuel based, uh, buildings are a larger chunk of that portion, especially residential buildings. And there are a lot of programs that our city is offering to help with efficiency. Now we're working with some constraints here because we do not have control over the utility, which is regulated at the state level and it's an investor owned utility. And we also don't have control over the building code, which is also controlled at the state level. But we have had some success with developing some economic incentives and mechanisms that are within the city's jurisdiction to help advance some energy efficiency. So we have a cool roof incentive program. So anyone who might be interested in solar, if you happen to have an old roof and want to get that roof replacement first, definitely look into the cool roof incentive program. A cool roof is basically a light colored or a highly reflective roof that will reflect more heat off of the surface of your roof, keeping your building significantly cooler, which will ultimately also save you energy bills. And it's a $1 per square foot incentive, which is a pretty decent incentive. And also this program prioritizes our highest heat districts in the city. And uh, we just crossed 1 million square feet of cool roofs incentivized through this program. We also have the Energy Project Assessment District Program, which we're administering through our partner Energize Kentucky. And this is what is nationally known as PACE. And it's basically an innovative financing mechanism to help you finance energy efficiency as well as water efficiency projects. In addition, we were recently uh, selected for another technical assistance partnership through the U.S. Department of Energy. This one is a pilot program called Communities LEAP that stands for Local Energy Action Program. And uh, they are going to help us analyze all of our existing clean energy programs as well as help us develop new ones with the focus on equity. So the, the whole intention of this program is to make sure that our clean energy transition is not just uh, towards our clean energy goals, but also keeping in mind equity and making sure that residents that most need it are benefiting from it. Now, in addition to reducing energy use and increasing energy efficiency, our greenhouse gas emissions reduction plan also talks about improving clean energy access in the community. And one of our goals is to get uh, solar energy on 50% of homes. And that's where Solar Over Louisville comes in. So this program is a partnership between Louisville Metro Government as well as Louisville Sustainability Council, which is a local nonprofit here in Louisville that has done extensive work in sustainability over the years. And we have partnered with them to launch this program. And we also wanted to give a shout out to CASIS because several years ago they did kind of set the groundwork for some of this work through their awareness campaign that they did and kind of launching this program several years ago. And that has developed into the program that it is today. 
So the basic premise of Solar over Louisville is that it's a Solarize campaign. And if you're not familiar with Solarize campaigns, these have happened in other cities and communities across the country. And basically, it allows many residents and businesses to sign up together and want kind of get together to go solar so that they can then access a wholesale bulk purchasing discounted rate on solar, which they may not be able to access if they were trying to get solar on their own. And uh, the other way that this campaign makes going solar easy is that the Metro government and LSC have gone through a process of vetting a solar installation partner so that it also removes the hassle of having to find a good solar installer. Uh, we will hear later in today's event that there are unfortunately a lot of scammers out there and it's hard to know who to trust, especially since this is a new industry to a lot of people. So we do have a vetted installation partner so people can be assured that they're going with somebody that is uh, trustworthy. So the reason that solar is gaining popularity, of course, is because prices have fallen significantly over the past decade. And also we're starting to see those increase in investments locally. And some of the main draws that people have are, of course, so the solar is currently the cheapest source of electricity globally which is great and you know it, once the equipment is paid for it's basically free energy most equipment in the industry is now guaranteed for a minimum of 25 years and typically will tend to last almost twice that amount of time and it's largely maintenance free a study by zillow also showed that homes that have solar on them will sell for approximately four percent more even in an economic downturn so there's tons of economic reasons and cost savings reasons why someone would want to go solar and there's also non-economic reasons why someone may want to go solar. They, a lot of people just care about energy independence and being able to just produce their own electricity and supporting more solar jobs in the state, as well as supporting our 100% clean energy goals. So this program is actually not only restricted to Jefferson County. So we have opened it up to everyone in the greater Louisville region, which is a 15 county area, including 10 surrounding counties in Kentucky, as well as five over in Indiana and it's open to residential as well as small businesses. So we're not doing any large industrial scale projects, but any business that would be comparable to a residential sized project is definitely welcome to apply. And small businesses actually pay more than homeowners do for their electricity. So it ends up being a faster return on investment and they have additional tax benefits. And this is also a limited offer program. So we do hope to do this on an annual basis. But right now, the enrollment deadline this year is June 30th. So one of the reasons to consider signing up by that deadline is that there is a 26% federal tax credit this year that is going to reduce to 22 next year. And it might be phased out after that. We're not 100% sure how this is going to go. So it's a good way. It's just something that to keep in mind if you are considering solar in the near future. So the sign-up process is very simple. We just have a very simple online form that asks for your basic information and your address. In addition to that, we ask for your last 12 months of utility bills, which can be found on the most recent LG&E bill. And what that does is helps us come up with a preliminary remote quote for you that gets you about 90% of the way in terms of how much it might cost, and that'll help you decide whether you want to move forward with it or not. We also ask for age and type of roof so that we can, you know, potentially recommend repairs or replacements if your roof is old or there's other issues. 
And also Solar Over Louisville does do a pre-screening. So as soon as we receive this basic information for you from this form, our team, even before we pass you off to the installer, we just look at the satellite imagery of your home just to check for basic things like the orientation, which way your roof is facing, whether there's a lot of shading and things like that. And if it looks like solar isn't going to be a good fit for your home, then we tell you that so that you don't have to go through the process of you know being passed on to the installer or potentially risk you know in some cases in there are installers out there who will put solar on a shaded home so you don't have to worry about that because we do take applicants through that pre-screening process so during our installer selection process we looked at some criteria of course this is our first solarized campaign we wanted to make sure that we worked with somebody that we could trust so affordability of pricing was an important factor because the point of this campaign is to make uh, solar accessible to people so we wanted someone who was offering a reasonable price somebody who was preferably locally based and had um, you know a track record of good work history in the region and someone who was also selling good quality hardware and had all the certifications and accreditations that were necessary so after reviewing a number of applications, we selected Solar Energy Solutions. It's been really great to work with them so far. One of the other things that was strong about their application is that they did have experience working with other solarized campaigns in the region. So it was, uh, it was great that they already had that experience to begin with, and they were also offering a very generous 12 to 19% discount, which all of the applicants through this program can get. So when talking to applicants, we do tell them to go through our application form just to make sure that you are being signed up so that we can connect you with the vetted installer and you don't risk being misled by another company. And of course, we also like to tell people to not forget energy efficiency when you're going solar. We, there's some uh, resources out there for anyone who may want to make a few upgrades to their home, make it more energy efficient so you can get the most out of solar. So now for the fun part. Where are we now? Now we've started the campaign. We officially launched it about three and a half months ago. And so far we have had over 900 people sign up to express interest in going solar. About uh, 35 contracts signed and then an additional five contracts through our solar grant program, which covers the full cost of solar installation for a handful of low to moderate income homes. That's 80% of area median income. Most of our signups are still from Kentucky and even within that significantly from Jefferson County. And I know that this is a statewide organization. If there's people here from other counties, we would love to get your help to get this message out to your counties, especially if it's in the region. Also, we're seeing a majority residential signups, but we are also going to have a workshop in partnership with the Louisville Energy Alliance that is focused on business, small businesses. And uh, so if anyone owns a small business or knows of an association or someone who might be interested, we'd love for them to also hear about this program. So with the 40 plus contracts that we have right now, that amounts to about 1.2 million in investments in the co total contracted amount and we have about 367 kilowatt in terms of the capacity installed, as well as 297 kilowatt hours of battery storage. Now, the Rocky Mountain Institute has been another technical advisor on this campaign, and they helped us create a sign-up map by census tract to see where we're getting our signups from. So we have pretty decent distribution of interest coming from areas all across 
not just Jefferson County, but also some surrounding counties. Of course, not some of the further away counties, we haven't seen any signups yet. I think it's been a little hard for us to get the word out to them. But at least from within Louisville, we see a pretty even distribution of signups as well as contracts that are starting to come in. And typically, nationally, uh, studies have been done to show that those that go solar are typically upper income and not communities of color, the neighborhoods, and that's how it is skewed in general. But at least through the initial data that we have through this campaign, we are more equitable in terms of being accessible to both communities that are low income as well as communities of color compared to the state average in the past before this campaign. So we'll have to see how that develops at the end of the campaign. We know that some of those, the high contract amount that we do get from some of these lower income community of color areas is through our solar grant program. And that is the purpose of the solar grant program is to make this program more accessible. So it's good that it is helping us with that representation. And these are some additional equity indicators. So we have about 13% of signups coming from low income tracks. Now this is significantly higher than about 4% that you see on a statewide average. And similarly, as I discussed with the community of color as well, it's higher than you would see nationally as well as in the state. And just to note that we don't actually know the income of each of these people that, that sign up, except for the solar grant program, because we do verify their income. This is more just going by the median in income for the census tracts that we're looking at. And uh, the reason that we have been able to have so much success in terms of getting so many signups and especially, you know, more equitably across the city is because we've been going out into the community a lot. So, of course, we do a lot of digital communication. We've held multiple uh, virtual workshops. We do newsletter blasts. We do social media. We do all of that stuff. But we also go to tons of community events. We had one downtown. We had one out in West Louisville. We are going to be participating in other events across the city. So we do try to get out there. And we are also very thankful to all of our community partners who have been helping us organize these events invite people to them and get the word out about it. So it's really a team community effort that's helped us get the word out about this to everyone. And I want to end on a positive note, which is that after all of these months of hard work, we were finally got solar panels on the first Jefferson County home yesterday, uh, the home of Lucas Menser. So he's got a solar array that's going to fully offset his home's energy use. He's also got two Tesla batteries. So he's going to be um, powering his home as well as his Tesla car through this array and battery system. So the councilman was there. We had a great event. It was a beautiful day. And we're very excited for all the other installs that we'll see throughout this campaign. So that's just quick overview of our campaign and where we are. And we would be happy to share all the lessons that we're learning through this campaign to any other community in Kentucky that's looking to replicate a solarized campaign. Please follow us. Our website is 100percentlu.com slash 2040, and that's where you'll find all the information about Solo Over Louisville, how to sign up for it, upcoming workshops, and all of that. We also are on all the social media at Solo Over Lou or Solo Over Louisville. All right. All right. I'm Steve Ricketts. I owned and ran Solar Energy Solutions along with Matt Partymiller for many years. 
And I think one of the things we're going to most proud of as, as solar installers, I think, is SES was around for the early days. We reckon we probably account uh, by the time I left the business for about 60% of the residential and commercial installs, not only in Louisville, but in the state as a whole. So we've had a really good history and a view about how solar has kind of developed. What I'm just going to do in the next five or six kind of minutes is saying, where do we go from here after kind of solarized kind of Louisville? Because this has been a great result. The campaign continues, it's going to go on, but it's one city and we've got an awful lot of Kentucky that's not touched to date by uh, a solarized campaign. So speaking with my Kentucky Solar Energy Society hat on, put it simply, our mission is to get more panels on more roofs urgently. Yeah, and if we're not doing that, we're not doing our job. And in, yeah, the way we're going to do that is remove barriers to doing solar, be they legislative, be they kind of code related, yeah, be they financing related, or just people's you know, nervousness about doing solar. We're here to kind of remove those barriers so people can get panels yeah, on roofs quickly. And boy, do we have barriers. Yeah, um, my, my wife always says to me, why did you pick the toughest state <laughs> yeah, to actually become a solar installer in? And when you go down the list, We've got very complex new net metering approaches. We've got grid caps. We've got a ban on doing community kind of solar. We've got nearly you know, 40 utilities to deal with across the state, and each one views solar in a different way. So you've got to work out where you are and what they, what they want. Um, it's hard to do leases. It's impossible to do leases of solar or legally in the state. Power purchase agreements, yeah, are tough to do. And then you go on and look at the rest. We've got homeowners associations who we battle on a weekly basis who don't want yeah, panels on their roofs. We've got a very unaccommodating legislator in Frankfurt who are going to fight every inch of the way when it comes to solar. Monopoly utilities who are yeah, dead set against us achieving our aims. We've got a, a shortage of solar kind of yeah, workforce in the state. And we have no incentives. Side of that, it's really easy. <laughs> And yeah, when you look at where we are in, in the national comparison, some, some charts say 49, some say 47. I like the fact that we're 47s because West Virginia is always worse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have a small number of people employed in the solar workforce, a little yeah, close to kind of 1,300, much less than Indiana, much less than Ohio, who have, you know, whilst they're still restrictive, they have much better uh, and more favorable solar policies in place than Kentucky has. Yeah, in terms of net metering caps and the growth of utility solar. So Kentucky does struggle in many ways, but despite all this, solar continues to grow year on year on year. And I think when we see the 2022 figures and the 2023 and the 2024, we will need a log scale on this graph because you think Matt talked about the, you know, the four gigawatts of solar in the pipeline. We've been really kind of, you know, fooling around in the basement doing what we think were big systems. The big systems are about to arrive and the landscape will change significantly across the state when it comes to amount of deployed solar. But I actually did a, you know, some decent kind of consumer research a couple of years ago about what stops the homeowner adopting solar in Kentucky. And it was actually quite an eye-opener. It was not price, which people tend to think is going to be one of the most you know, restrictive issues. I can't afford it. That actually came way down the chart of things that were stopping people doing solar in the first place. And it was all about the personal fear of going solar and making a mistake. Lack of understanding of the technology or a fear of the technology and making a mistake 
with buying an expensive technological item that's going on to your home. So it's all about the fear of mistake and the fear of wasting money and the fear of being wrong. And I was quite surprised how emotional and personal the majority of reasons for people not going solo was. If you ask a solar installer and say, you, you talk to 100 people about solar, how many people out of that 100 or what percentage of that 100 will actually adopt solar? It's 5% nationally. It's a, you have to talk to an awful lot of people to get 5% of those to go and put solar on their roof. If you solve that problem and you start to remove the nervousness about going to you know, solar, you can radically incentivize people to do solar more frequently and with more confidence. And it's around four things yeah, we found from the research. And this links closely into Solarize because Solarize ticks the boxes and removes the fear in, the, in these items. People said, I don't go solar because yeah, I was not certain the my installer knew what they were doing. I don't want to make a mistake when I'm spending twenty to $30,000. Makes, makes perfect sense. So if I've got an installer I know he's doing the right thing and he's trained and kind of certified, I'm more likely to adopt solar on my roof. Secondly, they said, I want to know that the installer shares the same values, you know, sees solar in the same way, is part of the same cause that I'm part of. If I feel that, I'm more likely to adopt solar. And the third one was, if I get into trouble with, with permitting, with a legislator, with my electrician, with my inspector, I need to know the installer is going to have my back because I'm not an expert. If I'm in doubt about that, I don't put it on my roof. And lastly, they said the fourth biggest kind of thing was, it's unknown to me and it needs to be simple and I don't need to feel like I have to have a physics degree before I can put it on my roof. And to sometimes <laughs> the solar industry overcomplicates things and they frighten people off. So the way Tesla does it, they said, do you want the small, the medium, the large or the extra large? It's like a big Mac you know, kind of solution. <laughs> they're not saying, they're not talking electrical wiring, they're not talking kilowatts, small, medium or large solar. And by being that simple, they've got an awful lot of business kind of traction. And if you do those things, we found that the, the rate of adoption of solar doubles, which is a great place to be. So your 5% goes to 10% in terms of the number of people who will move on with, with solar. Now, we've taken those principles and we've built it in to Solarize or Solar Over Louisville. I've had the chance to do 15 Solarize campaigns in six states kind of now. So I've seen this play out again and again and again. And here's why we're doing Solarize, because we know it works in other states. Indiana is the, is the case study here. In 2014, a couple of blocks in Bloomington, Indiana, started to do a group buying scheme for solar. It worked very well in 2013, 14, 15. The next year, 2016, they went from a couple of blocks to half of Bloomington, Indiana. The next year, they went to the whole city. And then other cities started to take note and say, this seems to be working for you. You're getting a lot of people converting because you take the pain away and you take the doubt away. So Evansville started, and Columbus, Indiana, and Fort Wayne, and South Bend. And the list went on and on and on. And they've now got 14 cities every single year, sometimes two or three times a year, that are doing Solarize. It's become a mass movement. Ohio's adopted this same approach. Kentucky has been standing alone saying, we're not quite sure about this, we don't know how to do it. So we've got two states north of us that are six or seven years ahead of deployment of residential solar through community buying options, and boy does it work.
they've got as far now that they actually train other cities they've written a manual on how to do this they give to the next city that comes along that says we want to do this it's a plug-and-play solution anybody can get involved any county any organization and basically it makes you know rolling out solar across the state remarkably easy louisville is the start of that role in kentucky louisville's done a fantastic job this is now the biggest community buying project in the midwest with 15 counties involved it's normally one county or one small city louisville's gone big first time out now proof of the pudding is in the eating this was a map of solar installs in indiana in 2015 focus yeah on indianapolis yeah some in evansville some in bloomington south bend fort wayne in the north dial forward to 2021 if you zoom in you still can't see the map for the pin drops which are individual installs just by doing solarize they more than doubled the amount of home installed solar in the state in five to six years just by doing what louisville's doing which is yeah pretty amazing for a, a citizen voluntary effort so what we're going to do over the next year as the kentucky solar energy society is bottle what's happened here in louisville write the playbook and basically say how do we take this throughout kentucky who's next up is it lexington is it frankfurt is it covington is it paducah because we will come and help you and be your guide and your steward and we'll help you put rfps together we'll be the expert on how to assess installers that come in and bid for the kind of project and next year we want to see three or four cities doing this year after that seven or eight cities let's get to 14 which indiana is doing and we stand a damn good chance in five to six years of doubling the amount of residential installs in the state because we know it works because we've seen it done already so i guess my ask to the audience is if you have counties cities in mind who you think might be open to talking about these kind of things talk to cases yeah, talk to me, talk to any of the kind of board members here today, because our job in the next year or two is going to be to help your location go and do this. And we're already starting to see some Lexington teams get interested, maybe some Frankfurt teams get interested. Who could be the next ones yeah, off the rack to do this after the success of Louisville? So that's what's next. Thank you, Steve. Sure. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Can you explain the community solar ban? Well, basically, uh, in, in other states, you know, it's possible for a solar developer to actually build a solar farm and then individual homeowners take a share in that, a true share in that, and become effectively a part shareholder in that farm. That's not legally allowed in Kentucky because it's a monopoly utility state. So is, is it banned in Kentucky? Yeah, it varies from state to state, but we are one of the states that says you cannot do that because only utilities can perform that duty. Yeah, yeah. If I was, if we were in some other states, yeah, I could go and develop a solar project and sell you a part of it directly as a homeowner. And sometimes the people band together because they want to do a community solar project and they live in apartments or whatever. They can't own and put it on their own yeah. roof, but they band together for a nearby space and do a community solar project. And there have been people who have talked to us as the Louisville, Louisville, saying, can we do a community project? And no, Kentucky's laws don't allow it. And uh, of course you heard <laughs> that there are things we need to work on with Kentucky's laws. Yeah. 
So I think the question was asked, what about the LG&E community solar project or the solar share? It is, it is a utility saying it's a community solar project, but it's a utility project. Let, let's yeah. be clear about that. And it does have its place because if you don't own your home, it's a great place to access renewable energy. But it is about 80 to 90 percent more expensive than, than having you know, your own energy. Um, talking of shady solar installers, this is a subject I don't want to yeah, talk about, but we have to acknowledge and really kind of tackle kind of head on. It's not something that used to worry anybody in this state. There are now, at my last count, 52 solar installers in Kentucky. A lot of them are small. They might do a job a month, you know, you know, one a week at the most or something like that. So it goes from, you know, SCS probably being the biggest local company down to, you know, somebody, you know, one, one person in a truck who occasionally does a job. And in general, Kentucky has a great selection of really good installers that are thoughtful and capable. And historically, we might have had to worry about maybe one person who was maybe starting out their career who wasn't quite sure of their electrics and yeah, hadn't worked things out. And we all knew who that person was and we tried to steer people away from that kind of one person. But it was a small issue. And I started to see the signs about 18 kind of months ago when as a solar installer at the time, we started to see other people's proposals. We started to hear about the quality of the jobs being done. And it started to, to really kind of scare me what we were getting into. And yeah, I'm sure it's no different in any other industrial area. When the piranhas sense that yeah, there is yeah, money to be made in a market and it's got big enough and juicy enough, they arrive and they start to really kind of mess things up for everybody. And it hasn't gone too far yet which is why really probably in the next year or more, we've got to quickly work out what do we do to try and block and tackle these people who really want to mess up you know, what to date has been a very ethical, very principled industrial area that's set out to do good from you know, a sustainability or an in independence point of view. And these people are just going to ruin it for everybody. Happens in all industries even more painful in solar because we're doing this typically for a reason. Yeah, we're doing it to, to push back on the climate emergency. And how dare they come into our markets and just try and scam people under the pretense of doing something about the environment. It makes my blood boil, frankly. So I'm going to start off with a, with a couple of news videos, which gives you a, a flavor of the kind of things that are going on. And what's happening now is news stations are picking up on this. Not just in Kentucky, there's an example from Michigan as well, but it, it's about a company that operates here. The uh, local news stations in Louisville are now picking up on this and have run a number of kind of articles in the last few weeks about dodgy you know, solar companies. And we're starting to see you know, uh, attorney generals in our state and surrounding states start to start investigations into solar companies. And if your average homeowner is worried, as I said earlier on, about the risks and process of doing solar, imagine how it's going to play when they see on the news, you know, solar is full of scammers. They're going to retract and not go solar. So it's really important we start to find ways to kind of you know, deal with this. So that's Power Home Solar, who've just changed their name to Pink Energy because changing your name leaves your history behind. We all know that. <laughs> and last time I looked on Google at their reviews, they had 791 star reviews. That takes some doing. They operate in about 13 to 15 states. 791 star reviews. I don't think I've ever heard of a company.
that, that's got that illustrious record. Local example. Science behind it works great. I don't have to worry about electric. Should cover all of our electric use. It's how solar cells. My electric bill would be pretty much nullified. We wouldn't have an electric bill. Sunshine sustainable, self-sufficient. It's on the roof. They were very quick about getting them on the roof. That was January 24th. On April 1st, Tim Morrow, we do have a perfect location, told us it's $57,000 as far as getting sun from sun up to sun down and no shade. 12 kilowatt system, we get maximum output from it. Still wasn't producing any power. This system, which was supposed to offset its electric bill, at least that's what Morrow says, Solar Titan USA sold him on. Now you're paying two bills, still paying my electric bill and paying on the panels that don't work. How much is that? A little over 300 a month, about what our electric bill is. The reason for no sun power generation? They've basically done everything illegally here. No inspection. The Spencer County inspector confirmed to Focus that Solar Titan didn't pull the required permits first. They never got the permit before they started. They guaranteed me, yes, we have the permits. You need to let people on your property to work because we have the permit. And they did. From Taylorsville. Well, the panels are put. Right up on the upper level. To Frankfurt. Foot off of the edge of the roof to the back of the home. Kenneth Bryant, another Solar Titan customer. That's an excellent spot, actually. Is another customer waiting to get what he paid for. $45,000. His panels went up in November. I've been paying on a system that I have not seen an ounce of electric from. Power Home Solar, regional player, now called Pink Energy. Solar Titan USA out of Knoxville now doing business in Lexington and Louisville. They're like a mini version of Power Home Solar or kind of Pink Energy. But you talk to any reputable solar installer in the area and they will tell you kind of tales, particularly in the last year, of how many people they've tried to rescue out of the clutches of these bastards. The one things they are very smart in doing is, and I'll talk to this in a minute, they navigate people into cast iron contracts exceedingly quickly with inducements. And once you're in a contract, you do not get out. So it's all about speed to contract, and then you're trapped. It's like yeah, being in a lobster pot. Once you're in, you don't get out. Um, those are probably the two most egregious offenders. This is a WHS 11 kind of article, and they are continuing to investigate Solar Titan USA. They're on their second article, and I expect to see a third yeah, fairly soon. They're pretty active in, in Louisville and Lexington and all places in between. And they've even got the cheat that when a homeowner like this complains about something not working, they remedy it, and they only remedy it if you will sign paperwork to say you're not allowed to complain about it. So when you look at their Google reviews, their Google reviews look wonderful because contractually no customer is allowed to complain about them. Pretty sneaky. So what we're trying to kind of work out is yeah, how to sort out the snake oil salesman from the board certified doctors. Yeah, if I've got a shoulder problem and I, I want my rotator cuff fixed, I'm not going to the guy on the left. I've got to be able to identify the good doctors and know that they've had the training and the qualifications to do the job properly. And it's like, how do we get this subject across to people so they can make wise decisions? And the reality is, this is not the audience who needs to know. I'm sure you've all got used to opening your tablets or your phones and seeing screaming ads saying the government's going to pay for your solar. Yeah, solar is free, no money kind of down. We'll pay your kind of electric bill for the next three months. We'll give you $2,063 on signing. Those are the ads that lead to the cesspool 
of these type of installers. And it's how do we get that to the general public? Because frankly, most of the people I see being conned are the ones who can at least afford to be conned and they're being sold a complete bill of goods. So what's happening, the, com the common things that are, that are going on is the pricing that is being offered by these companies is scary in the extreme. So if you look at solar over kind of Louisville and you take a rough figure, you say, my system cost is going to be around 250, 260, 270, 2 dollars 70 a watt. Some of these people run up to six dollars 50, 2 dollars 70 in the room here, six dollars 70 almost from some of these guys, nearly triple the price. So a system that should spend you know, cost 25 to 30 thousand dollars can cost 90 thousand dollars, and they are getting people to buy those things by high pressure tactics. And often they're not even stating what the cost is per watt. They bury it, and so you never find out how bad the offer is. But yeah, you'd never buy a $90,000 Toyota Prius because you know what it costs. But because people don't know solar so well, they swallow this kind of sadly a lot of the time. They give worthless rebates. I'll give you back $2,063 when you sign. I've just scammed you $40,000. I'm afraid I can give you back two of those. <laughs> They misrepresent the incentives. Nobody's giving free money. The government's not giving you free money. It's called yeah, a tax credit. You don't get a check back, it's a credit. There are no special kind of offers happening that are gonna run out in two days time unless you sign. It's all smoke and mirrors. Pressured contracting, you know you're in with the wrong person if they're forcing you to sign quickly. That's the time to run. And they have vicious cancellation penalties. If you do sign, and I've had customers say, I'm going to get out of this. They go, 70% of your project cost to get out of this contract. Say 70% of a $70,000 install. And they make all kinds of stuff out like the material we're going to use was so special and so unique to your job that nobody else could use this afterwards. Total rubbish. It can be used on the next house in line. But they'll charge you through the nose to get out of it. And then they fail to perform. But State AGs are picking up on this. That lovely little letter from uh, Solar Titan was the, uh, the letter they were asking one of those people to sign. Said, we'll remedy the mistakes we made, but, but you're not allowed to complain about us. So how do you tell these people? I mean, somebody, uh, the journalist asked me this yesterday when I was talking to him. Here's the things to look out for. These people often only meet with you and your partner because they want to force you to sign the legal documentation quickly and at one go. They don't want to come back a second time. Can I come and see your house and talk to you about solar? Yes. Um, is your wife around? No. She'll be back next week. I'm not coming because I want to be able to force you at the kitchen table to sign the paperwork and leave with everything done. They work off time pressured incentives three days yeah we want you to sign tonight there's an incentive which goes away at midnight yeah yeah this government scheme expires tomorrow if you hear that run for the hills they also will never give energy production estimates any regular installer will tell you this array will make 10,273 kilowatt hours a year in both of the company examples here nowhere in their contracts nowhere in their bids could i ever find a figure that says this is how much energy your system is going to produce. So you can never come back at them because they never promised it in the first place. And they often tell you you must have a battery. Batteries have their place but nobody must have a battery. And I've interviewed some of the salespeople from these companies because they've left those businesses and they said we were asked to tell every customer that they must have a battery if they're ordering solar. It's that dodgy.
you see any of these things, if you hear about a friend who's kind of, you know, talking to somebody who does any of these things, grab them by the scruff of the neck and pull them out of the room. Because if they do sign, they're lost. So, we've got a job ahead of us to try and educate people, both in the you know, solar community and the general public, about what to do to get away from these people. And there's a lot of resources, but frankly, a lot of this is work we need to do ahead of us, because we've got to reach the general public, not the solar enthusiast, because we're less likely to get taken for a ride. Yeah, good things to look for. Look for solar installers that are members of reputable organizations. Is your solar installer? It's part of a national organization which has an ethics policy. It doesn't guarantee things totally, but it's a very good step in the right direction. You will abide by fair dealing and fair trade. Are they a member of cases? You know, work is being done as part of this organization to screen and to qualify installers to give you the information to make up your mind. Do they have the right training? How long have they been in business? Those kind of things. So that, that'll help you as well. And there's some information on that on our website. And a job for us to be doing is how do we create a quality brand that anybody can look for to know whether somebody's trustworthy or not? There isn't one now. Maybe we need to be creating that. Next thing to look for is, have they got their NABCEP certification, North American Board of Certified Energy Practitioners? Good solar installers have NABCEP qualification. It's like deciding you're going to go to a doctor who's certified, who actually went to college and got trained and passed an exam. If people haven't got NABCEP, they may still be good, but you don't know because nobody's tested them and they've not sat an exam. Other areas we've got to work on is, frankly, a lot of our inspectors still struggle with knowing what to do with solar. They don't know how to tell good from bad solar. And I'm not blaming the inspectors per se, but they haven't had the continuing education they need to look at a piece of solar and go, yeah, you've missed this, this, and this, go back and do it again. I quite frequently meet inspectors in country areas who walk up to a solar job and go, oh, so this is solar, how does it work? It's like, you're the inspector, <laughs> you tell me but they haven't been trained by their local authority or county in what to look for. Some places don't even have inspections, by the way. You finish a job and you don't need to inspect it. That's fine, it'll work, but burn the house down. So we need to help train and educate inspectors to do a better job to spot people who don't know what they're doing. Big one is Solar Over Louisville. Campaigns like Solar Over Louisville and Solarize, they're very good at weeding out people who don't know what they're doing. So yet another reason for going with these community approaches. You wouldn't believe the days we spent trawling through solar installers who applied to do the job. Your insurance, your labor turnover rate, your accident yeah, rate, your certification, and it went on and on and on and on, page after page after page, interviews of all of the people, hard questioning of all of the people. And the majority didn't do that well, frankly because the industry is still fairly young. So you ended up with the SES for a good reason, because they're the only one that got over the hurdles. And the last thing, and probably the most important thing we do, how do we reach the general public through the Courier Journal, through yeah, WHAS, WDRB, NPR, whatever it may be. So people understand slowly over the next year or two what makes a quality solar job, so they're not prey to these kind of leeches that we need to get out of the industry. One of the good things as well that SES has started to do, they're now handing out checklists to their customers, like ask your installer this. And by the way, go and ask a second installer this, don't just trust us. See how they fare on this checklist. Do they score three out of 10? Do they score 10 out of 10? 
So these kind of things will slowly kind of get out to build that knowledge in the public. But it's going to be a hard one. But we've got to help educate people as to how to make the right decisions and not to be afraid to do solo. Well, we've laid a whole lot of information on all of you. And obviously, I want to say, please do go to kyses.org and become a member if you're not already. Thanks to everybody for being here. And let's do what we can to install lots of solar. And you've been listening to some of the great content shared at the June 4th Kentucky Solar Energy Society's annual meeting that was held in Ekstrom Library at the University of Louisville on June 4th. And uh, we just heard from Steve Ricketts, Principal of Generation Solar, all about the solar scammers and the upcoming work to solarize Kentucky. Before that, we heard from Sumeda Rao of Louisville Metro Government Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability, all about solar over Louisville. Hey, deadline's coming up. Now's the time to look into it. 100%lu.com slash 2040, June 30th deadline. Speaking of which, your community action calendar is coming up in just a minute. So sharpen your pencils. Get your calendars out, my friends. I'll be back in a minute to share some tips for getting sustainable this week here in Louisville. Stay tuned. And we're back here on Sustainability and Now, taking a look at our community action calendar. Yes, get your pencils sharpened and your calendars out. This could be your week to get engaged with sustainability, my friends. Not too much going on, but a few things to mention. Uh, your last chance in the near future to volunteer with Trees Louisville is this week. I mentioned it before. You can learn more about volunteering and sign up at treeslouisville.org volunteer and you can contact for more information there volunteer manager morgan grubbs at morgan at treeslouisville.org or 502-208-9421 and there's going to be a couple prunings coming up this week that you can help out with they're going to be pruning trees at wagner high school on tuesday June 28th at 9.30 a.m. There's 31 trees there, so they need uh, two or three volunteers to help out with that. And then on Thursday, June 30th at 10 a.m., they'll be out at Fern Creek High School doing some pruning of about 50 trees out there, and they need 
at least three volunteers to help out with that. So you can learn more and sign up at treeslouisville.org slash volunteer. And also this week, a continuation of the Zoning Manners Conversation with a City Planner series. This week, they're going to be out at the Crescent Hill branch of the Louisville Free Public Library on Tuesday, June 28th. 4.30 to 8 p.m. These conversations are part of the ongoing Land Development Code Reform, which is an equity-focused approach to revise the Land Development Code consistent with Plan 2040 to allow for increased housing choices and opportunities in new and existing neighborhoods to create procedures and regulations that are easier to use and increase the quality of life by reducing the concentration of environmental hazards near housing. So Joel Dock from Louisville Metro's Office of Planning and Design Services will be available at the Crescent Hill branch of the library to answer your questions on Tuesday, June 28th from 4.30 to 8. Any questions you have about zoning and the Land Development Code Reform Project, they want to hear from you about your neighborhood and discuss what the reform means for you. Uh, the series continues at all the libraries in town running through September 6th. You can learn more at louisvilleky.gov. Just search for Land Development Code Reform. And then coming up on Wednesday, June 29th at 7 p.m., it's the next Real Good News event on Is Municipalization Louisville's Path? to 100% renewable energy. Join us at the next Real Good News event, that's the Renewable Energy Alliance of Louisville, that Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light co-sponsors with 100% Renewable Energy Louisville and the St. Paul Christian Action Group. Guest speakers will include Janice Beecher from the Institute of Public Utilities, Michigan State University, and Allison Smith from the Louisville Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability discussing a proposal to put portions of Louisville's electric service structure under city ownership also known as partial municipalization. The aim of that plan would be to overcome regulations that limit access to renewable energy. You can find the link to register for this event coming up on June 29th at 7 to 8.30 p.m. online. Well, you can register at tinyurl.com slash bdfhrr, the number 8t, tinyurl.com slash bdfhrr8t or you can go to facebook.com slash kyinterfaithpowerandlight and yes the solar over Louisville June 30th deadline is coming up uh, and you just heard all about it program offering Louisville residents and property owners a discounted wholesale rate for installing solar panels they've done the hard work of vetting a high quality solar installer and you can participate in the program to reduce your energy bills, support local jobs, and reduce greenhouse gas emissions while joining a community of neighbors going solar together. The program is taking signups through June 30th, so learn more at 100percentlou.com slash 2040. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Be well.